Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Today, we're more distributed and more digitally connected than ever before. Digital communications are now the lifeblood of the enterprise. With Smarsh, you can leverage all of your communications as a strategic asset. Smarsh enables companies to transform oversight into foresight by surfacing business-critical signals in more than 80 digital communications channels, from email to WhatsApp to Zoom and many more. Regulated organizations of all sizes rely upon the Smarsh portfolio of cloud-native, AI-enabled digital communications capture, retention, and oversight solutions to help them identify regulatory and reputational risk within their communications data before those risks become fines or headlines. Smart serves a global client base spanning the top banks in North America, Europe, and Asia, along with other leading financial firms and various government agencies. To discover more about the future of communications capture, archiving, and oversight, visit www.smarsh.com. You must prioritize innovation. No one wants to be left behind. And there may be some very quick, easy wins as well. Not innovating is probably the greatest problem. Today's guest explains how financial services firms can best prepare now for the industry's rapidly changing compliance requirements and outlines the skills compliance officers will need to remain relevant in the back office of the future. Louise Roger is the Director of the Compliance and Policy Division at Tradebody, the Association for Financial Markets in Europe, or AFMI, where she lobbies policymakers for the interests of compliance professionals at banks and brokers in the UK and Europe. Hi Louise, welcome to Following the Rules. Hello Lucy, thank you, and I'm delighted to be joining you today. So I wanted to start with your role and the Association for Financial Markets in Europe. Could you tell us about what AFMI does, how it interacts with compliance and what role you play in that? Sure. So very happy to. I'm the compliance director in our compliance control and accounting division at AFMI. That's one of several divisions. So AFMI is an organization. We are a European trade body. Our members are wholesale investment banks and brokers across the UK and Europe. And in the compliance space, we're very much focused on What's happening in the compliance department? What support and advice can we give? What discussions and projects can we facilitate with a real focus on the roles and responsibilities of those in the second line of defence? Okay. so what would you say are the biggest challenges for financial services compliance teams currently? Great question. So firms will be familiar with their existing regulatory rules and requirements. So the UK, we have the FCA handbook, for example, other jurisdictions will have a similar set of domestic rules. And then we've got the European level, the ESMA compliance guidelines are a really good example of this. So I think the baseline is firms have got their overarching rules and requirements for their compliance teams, and that's the starting point. Now, those rules and guidance, they must be reviewed on a continuous basis. Firms will be assessing and monitoring their existing performance with those obligations now and an ongoing basis. So 
So firms will need to be alive and plugged into how they're doing, identify any blind spots and what's on the horizon. So I think legislatively, it's been a busy decade or so. We've seen the market abuse regulation and indeed MIFID II. Both have been enforced for several years now. And these existing sets of regulations, if you like, require a lot of compliance effort and resource. Having said that, there's always something in train in the EU or UK regulatory pipeline. And I think we can expect more changes. So, for example, in the UK, we've got the wholesale markets review. I think compliance teams will be monitoring progress against that. We will effectively have an EU and UK MIFID, so identifying any particular priorities for compliance as those changes occur will be very important. And then concurrently, we've got ESG and sustainable finance, and then crypto. These topics fall into the category of, we know compliance will need to be focused on this. The firms that we represent will have different operating models and approaches. There are those whose compliance teams are completely plugged in to work on crypto or digital assets or ESG. And then there'll be those compliance teams who, for good reason, will be aware of what's coming down the track, but are probably conscious that they need to do more and they need to be prepared to do more. That's probably a good overview of current and expected future work. In the compliance function, you then have the unexpected work. So examples of this might be, very tragically, that the war in Ukraine and the application of financial sanctions. We know in discussions with our members that this has had a huge impact on those in a sanctions team and also across the wider business in terms of KYC, onboarding, management reporting. Firms had to move very quickly to manage the volumes and the processes associated with the sanctions. And they really did move at an incredible pace to manage this. I think another live challenge facing the compliance function is the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, that has been a challenge for a couple of years now. I don't think anyone, us, the regulators or the banks ever really anticipated a situation where huge volumes of employees across the lines of defence would be working remotely in some form or another for two years. That is probably the single biggest impact on compliance. And it's created a lot of challenges. And the way that we work has changed. What are the compliance requirements here? We've got people working in the office and at home. What sort of upskilling is needed. In the case of compliance, advising a hybrid workforce can be particularly challenging, not just for the employer and the employee, but also adapting and changing compliance processes so that all of the risks are assessed, accurately identified, and then mitigated against. And probably what isn't the role of compliance, um, but a final point worth making, is culture. So we know that's a very useful conduct risk mitigant. And culture does not solely sit within compliance, but it's proven to be a very useful tool. And I think that's the biggest challenge for compliance, what their changing and evolving responsibilities are, and essentially how to manage them and 
upskill and develop. So I suppose in conclusion, it's a, a matter of space, time, cost, manage the expected legislative regulatory requirements, and then prepare for and in anticipate the new compliance challenges. That is a, a very detailed run through of the biggest challenges that compliance teams are facing now. And there is a huge workload for compliance to get through. And that's business as usual workload. You mentioned a couple of headline regulations that are challenging in and of themselves. But as you mentioned as well, there are the unexpected challenges that arise that compliance must just be able to down tools as much as possible and focus on. Just from a high level perspective, what advice do you have for compliance professionals trying to balance those two, the unexpected and the day-to-day? So I think that's a really good question. Probably the single most important thing is for management within firms to foster a good culture and encourage collaboration within compliance teams and across the business too. I think having a very clear purpose helps. Recognition and reward are also very important, whether that's financial, offering hybrid working, recognition of work that is well done, and upskilling, training and development. I think firms with a commitment to identify the needs and evolving role of compliance and the need to support compliance in their role and create space for this development and training alongside the job is incredibly important. Okay. You mentioned that firms must do what they can to look after their staff. One thing that has arisen from the pandemic is this requirement for financial services firms to be more flexible than they had ever been pre-pandemic in their attitude to staff being present at the office. Compliance being a cost have long struggled to innovate to the extent they perhaps could. But the pandemic obviously highlighted the need for that to change as compliance found themselves in a situation where they needed digital tools to effectively monitor staff working from home. How have you seen that need for innovation play out within the sector? How can firms innovate while working through a busy to-do list? Sure. Again, another great question. And I don't think there's any bank or compliance department who doesn't actually want to innovate, whether that's to maintain or develop their competitive edge, for example. And I think innovation fundamentally brings with it huge efficiency gains. From my experience, the discussions that we have, there are several barriers to innovation. And I think probably the first barrier is securing investment from the business to do this. And you mentioned compliance is a huge resource and costs a lot of money already. So there's a sort of hurdle around those initial costs and then ongoing costs being at the outset probably quite difficult to justify. And of course, I've mentioned the different scale and size of the members that that we represent. But I think that's probably cost is the first point at which things can start to be difficult. And I think less topical than COVID is Brexit. We've got a European membership and some of our firms saw certain activities transferred overseas, either to another branch or even to their headquarters. And with budgets controlled overseas, whether that's Europe or globally, I think if you're in a particular jurisdiction where you do want to innovate, but you're part of a much bigger organisation, it may be difficult to secure that local investment that's needed to support innovation. So I suppose the first one is that commitment to innovate. 
the second one is proving the benefits of innovation alongside all of the other compliance priorities. And first and foremost, compliance are traditionally very focused on managing conduct risk and the processes around that. We've seen some firms start to take a more holistic approach and consider how they use data. What data do they have? What data might they need? And we have seen some good examples of firms setting off on a new data journey. It's a very live issue. Some are further along the journey than others. And then that brings in regtech. We've certainly seen firms accelerate their use. For others, it may not be their top compliance priority at the moment. There may be good reasons due to size, remediation work, or the pace of other global projects. But I think we've certainly had some really interesting discussions and debates here around what the compliance officer of the future looks like. And again, to my earlier point, upskilling is key. What are the new skills and competences? And then what are the resources needed to encourage and enable that? So a commitment across the business to do things differently and adapt. Moving from a traditional system or process will take a lot of effort, planning and coordination. But recognising the benefits, I think, is probably key. And of course, that assumes no one is innovating. They are. We know they are. And digital transformation is happening right now. In many cases, it was accelerated by the pandemic. And I know that colleagues of mine here at AFMI are very closely involved in work to overcome some of the regulatory obstacles to innovation. So speeding up the use of cloud and AI, for example, which leads to my, my final point, which is going to be you know, regulatory certainty. What regulatory certainty is needed to innovate, encourage and support investment and commitment? Cryptocurrencies, digital assets and use of the distributed ledger technology are a really good example. There's an obvious tension between pace of technology and the rate at which regulators move. No regulator wants to set the wrong rules. Everyone must protect consumers and investors alike. But I think we wonder in some discussions to what extent this regulatory uncertainty can be inhibiting and we suspect there's probably an opportunity for regulators and industry to engage more. Okay, that's really interesting. And that's certainly something I've heard elsewhere in relation to the regulatory regime in the fintech and crypto space. Obviously, the government is rethinking its rule book across the financial services space, but also within the fintech and, and, and crypto space post-Brexit. They laid out their plans for that space through the Khalifa Review, which published yeah. early last year. Are you saying that they have perhaps not been ambitious enough in that review or they need to enact on that faster or, or something else entirely? So that's a good point. And we're looking at the sort of EU, UK regulatory landscape. So looking at cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, for example, we know that there are certain regulators who have been quite severe on what they will or will not accept. So I don't think it's a case of regulators not having done enough or not moving quickly enough. But I think it's about clarity and consistency across many jurisdictions. So Brexit, again, is a good example. The UK is starting to move. We know that they're doing innovation projects and sandboxes to help 
um, facilitate innovation. We look at the European landscape and there's fragmentation within certain member states on the treatment of, of cryptocurrencies and then that global international piece as well. And until we have a very clear picture of what the regulatory landscape looks like consistent across those jurisdictions, it does make innovation quite difficult. So we need everyone to move a bit quicker, move a bit more joined up and really speak to industry because it, it's banks and fintechs and those types of platform providers and enablers that if you have the right conversations, we can speed and accelerate innovation in this area. Okay. And you mentioned that AFNI is giving a lot of thought to what the compliance office of the future looks like. Could you tell me more about where your thinking has arrived at in relation to that? Yes, um, very happy to. I think the compliance officer will need to be more agile. Technology is changing and the way that technology is used within financial services is changing as well. So we need to see much more technological training and upskilling, how new products work, how payments may be facilitated in new ways and new platforms. So it's understanding and having the experience of how regulation works and why, which we have within the compliance function, um, but also being able to, to manage and adapt what the new changes are. And I think it will be very technology focused. Unsurprisingly, we will see more firms move towards use of the cloud as regulators and, and industry work together on that to open up opportunities there cryptocurrencies, how they work, the new products that we will start to see coming into compliance for approval. We're looking at compliance officers who in the past may have understood how an algorithm works and now looking at how blockchain and distributed ledger technology works, how cryptocurrencies work, and really being on that technological journey that's happening right now. I think on the technology point, a lot of processes are very manual. And I think the compliance officer of the future, there'll be a lot more automation. We're quite confident that innovation requires automation. A lot more probably could be automated, but you don't want to lose the experience of somebody in the compliance function being able to take a judgment call on something unusual or suspicious. What areas of financial services compliance are most in need of innovation in your view? That's a great question. And I think anything that uses a lot of resource for very little gain, but anywhere within compliance where you are spending a lot of money and the benefits aren't very clear, the area that I would prioritize is investing AI, machine learning in the surveillance space. Increased automation looks very attractive. It diverts resources away into more thoughtful investigations and review. Similarly, anti-money laundering and KYC checks take up a lot of resource and automation can certainly address some of the complexity and reduce long processing times. But as that can be speeded up with automation, what is the role of compliance? And I think the role of compliance is to be quite intelligent in being able to review and understand any anomalies. And that's probably true of, of market surveillance as well. I think using data more intelligently as well, 
And I think banks have a lot of data within their firms about their clients, about their staff, about the way that they do business. We recently did a really interesting piece on conduct analytics and using those analytics to make decisions about the business, to understand more about how decisions are taking and how conduct risk is managed. I know that not many firms are on that conduct analytics journey yet because it requires resource and an investment. So I think using data and technology and innovation to streamline the business and streamline the decisions that you've taken and free up those older, clunky, offshore trawling of hundreds of thousands of positive alerts in your trading surveillance system, for example. Okay, interesting. And you have mentioned data a couple of times now in the, in the context of firms having to pay closer attention to the data that they are gathering as they seek to innovate in the compliance function. And that conducts analytics study that you mentioned sounds really interesting. So is it the case that firms, as there is pressure to innovate within the compliance function, are paying closer attention to the data sets that they're pooling together? and finding new and increasingly interesting ways to gather new data. Is that correct? It's both. Data is huge. We've got the UK regulators focused on a huge data transformation project. We've also got data that can be exchanged and shared for wider good, which I think is quite an interesting one. So if you look at financial crime, for example, the use of public-private partnerships These are created so that regulators, industry, crime-fighting bodies can share and exchange information on what they see for the much greater good, for the fight against financial crime and anti-money laundering activities. That's got a long way to go, and I think that needs regulatory support and encouragement to, to do that. So I think it's about using the data yourself for what you can see about your firm, your clients, You you can use data to identify hotspots if you've got particular activity happening in the same area. Having data collection systems that work, a data strategy that's integrated across your firm, and a commitment to have the right clean data to tell you what you need to do. Of course, you need to work out at the outset what you want to use that for. And then that's data sharing and information sharing. And I think there, we've seen some good examples, but there's always scope to do more. And I think public-private partnerships are a good example of that. Okay. Is there anything more you can tell me about that conduct analytics study that you mentioned? Were there any interesting conclusions reached from that? Yes, sure. So I'd be very happy to. Last summer, we conducted a series of interviews with our compliance members based around the conduct analytics framework, who's looking at conduct analytics, what the common challenges are, and also to provide an opportunity to, to benchmark We found some interesting findings. The bottom line is firms are looking at their data strategies and how they use data to take some quite interesting decisions about how they do things within their firm. One of the the first points was, what are the data points and metrics that you need to give you the insight about what's happening? And a lot of firms already have this. The data's within their organization, they can use that to really sort of provide insight as to what they might want to to look at in closer detail. It might, for example, identify some of the root causes of any particular conduct-related issues. 
And by identifying and setting metrics, you can use your data in a, a really positive and efficient way for the organization. Patterns and trends are, are, are always very helpful. Monitoring where you are with culture, again, is also incredibly helpful. And using the right technology solution to do it means that you can explore all sorts of topics and insights from what you already have. Many firms are looking at this and conduct risk is one of the biggest single important issues. And to manage that, you can do that in a variety of different ways and using technology and analytics can help you do that in a quicker, efficient, swifter way. That's really interesting. And it seems to me that from your summary there, that there are easy wins perhaps to comply with regulatory pressures that firms might be missing. So are there any common mistakes that firms make when it comes to innovating within their compliance function? So I think the the most obvious point is it will cost a lot of money. However, done right, I think innovation creates, you know, great opportunities for additional revenue and increased efficiency savings. I think engagement with regulators, two-way engagement, firms with their regulators and regulators back out with the regulated community, clearly understanding what the regulator's expectations are is key. You don't want to go off and, and innovate only to find it's not aligned with those expectations. And this is difficult. We know regulators are running several pilots and sandboxes, which is helpful. Uh, and there is a move to greater global coordination, which provides certainty and consistency. And then the regulatory sandboxes provide a space to innovate. So I think the message is don't waste those types of opportunities. You must prioritize innovation. No one wants to be left behind. And there may be some very quick, easy wins as well. Not innovating is probably the greatest problem rather than common mistakes. You mentioned a couple of times that there is a need for upskilling within compliance. How are you seeing compliance officers upskill? Are you seeing firms themselves provide the training that is required for compliance officers to develop these skills or are they seeking that elsewhere? I think that's a good point. I don't think we have the full picture, but I think the first point is probably recognising compliance needs are changing. It's that focus on creating the workforce of the future, investing in your people, how that reconciles with your competitive advantage. People are your best asset, so what do they need? Anecdotally, we've certainly heard that there is a commitment from firms to invest in their people. Really, from what I've seen and heard, take a step back and say, what do we want to do here and what do we need to do it? So whilst I can't give you an example of a really good initiative that I've seen, I think the fact that the discussions are, are taking place is very encouraging. So one thing that has been mentioned, as you would expect a number of times, is this increased focus on ESG and sustainable finance. How is that changing the skill set required by compliance professionals? So I think there are those who are really engaged and have maybe already done some of the upskilling that's needed. There are those who it's in the pipeline. They know that there will be a new set of products for them to review, assess, provide compliance advisory oversight for, but they haven't yet had the opportunity to, to really take a step back and understand what's changed. So earlier this year, we saw that ESMA consultation 
on, on the review of MIFID II suitability guidelines, which of course had considerations for those in the compliance function. And it's a very good question because we are starting to really drill down into what this means for compliance for your firm and what you'll need to do and indeed what you'll need to do differently. So I think compliance is very much focused on what that future landscape will look like, what they'll need to do in respect of the sort of traditional MIFID II obligations as they change to incorporate changes and, and, and developments in the sort of ESG space. It's, it's an ongoing discussion and I think there's certainly a lot for compliance to think about in terms of the types of products, their clients' preferences, clear need, I think, for firms to ensure that they provide the right training on sustainability topics. This is fairly new for many, and there's a lot of work in the year ahead on this. Interesting. So in many ways, a very exciting time to be working in compliance, because there is a lot of change to the very nature of the role that individuals can play quite a proactive part in driving the thinking around. Well, I'm very biased, but I would say it is always an exciting time to be working in compliance. Um, but you are, of course, very right. We had MIFID II enter into force a few years ago. And I think huge projects to implement MIFID II, and then a bit of a lull in many respects. And now we've got the ESG and sustainable finance agenda really proving to be the next big topic in financial services. And it is very interesting and I think it's, it is a more exciting time to be in compliance, I think, because we've got technology. A lot of things have happened in the world in recent years. And we've already touched on how compliance officers can balance the unexpected with the day-to-day workload. And you've also mentioned a series of crises situations, some of which more expected than others. So Brexit, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the pandemic, and how those required differing skill sets within compliance. Are any of those events continuing to cause problems for compliance? And if so, what? And and how equipped are compliance teams to cope with the workload that has arisen as a result of those? So I think the compliance teams have adapted very well. They've proven that they can react to crisis events, be that the war in Ukraine or the pandemic. I think an interesting observation I have, and it's completely unproven, is I haven't seen any high-profile compliance failings from either of those situations just yet. It is very early days, and, and of course it's possible. I think those types of events have inevitably created a pressure within the compliance function. So I think a commitment to, to invest in compliance, remove barriers, such as underperforming systems and processes, so that compliance can continue to be prepared for the next event, whether that event is geopolitical or technological. We saw incredible responses to how firms were managing the sanctions. They were applied very quickly. They required a lot of review, and it was changing on a daily basis. If you looked at the sanctions list at five o'clock on a Thursday, there may be new sanctions by midday on the Friday. So the pace was incredibly challenging, as was the pace at the outset of the pandemic, when from a stability perspective, the compliance teams and other functions within firms were helping everyone get up and running and trading. 
so that markets you know didn't fall over so we've seen really incredible efforts by compliance but i think to continue this it is a sort of investment in compliance that's probably the most important point here do you get a sense that the the bosses within financial services firms understand that need I do. So we will speak with compliance officers and their immediate management team. And there is a willingness to invest in their people and in doing things in a a smarter and more efficient way. Each firm will have a series of internal considerations around that. I think there's more to do. And the pace of working in compliance is such, it can be very much a firefighting role. If that's what you're very much focused on a day-to-day basis, at what point can you factor in time to think about new technologies? We have seen and heard of, of really good initiatives, but there is always space to do more. And now, given where we are with technology, it feels like a really good opportunity to take stock what that future workforce looks like and what's needed to really optimise how you function. Okay. And lastly, what's one upcoming or indeed current challenge few people are talking about that you think the industry needs to pay more attention to? Well, I think that's creating the workforce of the future and investing in your people and how that reconciles with the competitive advantages that banks are striving for. Your people are your best asset. Alongside that, banking is changing, technology is changing everything. And I think banks cannot do that alone. They need regulators and even tech to be on that journey. So I think allowing space to innovate whilst maintaining the correct conduct standards is a really interesting situation to be in. And I think being able to have the sort of freedom to explore what that looks like without fear of getting it wrong with the regulators is another interesting future consideration. Okay, that's really interesting. Well, thank you very much, Louise. That has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Lucy. It's been a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.